Hello everyone, and welcome to Dusk Dawn Episode 2. This is going to be the Streets of New Capetta First Impressions Podcast. And uh, before we get into it, i just like to say that I was right. Uh, what were you right about, Gareth? I was right about literally everything about the blue-white deck. Dude, exotic pets. Exotic pets. That's all you need to know. It's the real deal. Exotic pets. Exotic it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty good card care if I'll give you credit but I, I was also yeah. right about there being a deck around it and I think I was also right and this is important that the format <laughs> is a little bit faster than everybody thought it was gonna be and I'm really excited mm. about being right about that one even though I literally couldn't turn it into wins so <laughs> yeah care of can see the matrix but he can't actually do anything to it and uh, sad. yeah the monkey the monkey's paw curls a little bit more each true. Day. It's tragic, but yeah, yeah, we uh we have a lot better like the the, the format's been out. What has it been? It's gotta been a week and a half or so, right? Yeah, it's about a week and a half. Plus, pre-release is a little bit more, but pre-release is always yeah, sealed. Gives fake data, anyways. <laughs> but yeah, we're we, we've got we got a good show planned for you guys. It'll be shorter than our last couple of uh, long trudges. So for any of you out there who made it through those first couple of shows, we appreciate you. For anyone joining now, I fully understand you not listening to those, and I promise to be more <laughs> concise today. That's um, fine. It's it's hard doing a full <laughs> set review, but I framed it in the show notes uh, as trying to prove that we could have a podcast, and I think that no, we have true. now. This is, yeah. in its way, another pilot, because this is the one where we really start to give takes on strategy and data and bullshit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you can tell if we're actual magic players or just monkeys uh, controlling a human, you know? I'm a fucking monkey. Uh, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go over in this podcast, we're going to talk about the hits and misses from our specific lists mm. of the Streets of New Capetto set review. And then we're going to talk about the big story, which I think is Brokers. Uh, mm. It's kind of the the bureaucrat's world, and we're all just living in it. <laughs> Damn, uh, that's a lot about, about society, Gareth. <laughs> we're going to talk about personal experiences, just because we want to lighten up the mood after talking about how how there's, there is a good deck in the format that people seem yeah, to yeah. have figured out pretty easily. We're going to talk about how to try to beat that deck, because we're not entirely sure how to do that yet, but we'll we'll throw out some ideas. And then we've titled our next section, What 17 Lands Will Tell You. So instead of <laughs> analyzing rare-on-rare rare synergies like you would in a set review to make a joke and tell everybody <laughs> that it's secret information that 17 lands will not tell you. We are going to go over the data, and Drafter has compiled a list of interesting points to be made about many of the cards in the format so far. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it. So yeah, drop on in. We've got we've got lots of content for you. Alright, Kareth, well, let's lead off the hits and misses. What, what are we talking about first? So... The first thing we are going to talk about is probably White's role in the format as well as Blue's role in the format and how he missed on a couple of those things. We have Rumor Gatherer up first because I think it's an important thing to talk about the commons in the set and specifically the two that literally everybody knew were good before they even came out. Yeah, go for it, Gary. 
So for Ruber Gatherer, I think one of the main reasons that people aren't playing this card and continue to not play this card is because the format doesn't seem to value double-colored spells, which you could probably guess, right? The format is fixing heavy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the format isn't fast and you don't need to play stuff on turn one and two. I think the other issue of Rumor Gatherer is that A, the Commander players were hyping it, so we all got distracted by them, and B, that uh, it's got, it, it's slow value, and uh, slow value on, like, a weak body is just not really where you want to be in this format, and I, it doesn't sound that slow, but it ends up being slower than you'd think it is, and just, like, it's, it's, it's just not good, and between the double yeah. pips, it being slow, it's been pretty bad. Instead of casting two spells to draw a card, one being Rumor Gatherer and the other being the next creature spell, you could just cast Inspiring Overseer, and it turns yeah. out that that's probably better <laughs> yeah. 95% yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah. The Inspiring Overseer makes this card look bad. Uh, Commander players, uh, bad influence as usual. So, yeah. oh, oh, man. But, uh, the other thing that's important to mention is combat tricks have been very important in this set. As a whole, we like undervalued basically every combat trick in this set, with a couple of combat tricks ended up still being bad. But for the majority, they've been playing really well, and we like didn't give any of them a chance, other than Majestic Metamorphosis on Karif's side. Yeah. However, that card's actually one of the weaker combat tricks in the format. So <laughs> Yeah, so important thing about combat tricks, I think, in any set review is that for a lot of limited players, uh, and specifically limited pros, not that we are, I want to stress that, <laughs> the combat tricks tend to underperform because a lot of limited players are looking for incremental value. Think of Popper, for instance, and I know this is a weird kind of <laughs> thing to draw from, but... Popper is a set entire or a format entirely about two for ones. And when limited players see two for ones, they really want to take advantage of the fact that that's card advantage over their opponent. And combat tricks can do that, but they're really hard to set up and they don't generate board presence. They're just not usually a thing that matters in limited these days because there are so many cards like inspiring overseer and jewel thief that you'd rather just be playing those the thing about that whole analysis though is that when i said the format was gonna be faster than other three color formats and i still didn't catch that combat tricks might be good in that scenario actually hitting people down is something that you could do it's a strategy that you can take uh, Antagonize ended up being a lot better than we thought it was going to be. Revelation of Power ends up being good, mostly because the counters deck is really good. But all, overall, the racing aspects of this set ended up mattering a lot more in the early game, and so combat tricks can not only be used to push damage, but are effective in being removal replacements, kind of. Yeah, and I'll delve into them a little bit more once we get into our 17 land section and really, like, highlight how much they're performing. Um, but yeah, as a whole, very good in this set. The other thing is that uh, fish are good, and 
we'll talk about luxurious libations a little later, but yeah, but fish definitely help get some lethal damage, and it's true. Yeah, fish fish uh, with an antagonize seems funny. I don't know if anybody's cast that specific combat combo yet, but I don't know. You'd have to be in what Mardu or not? You'd have to be in Maestro's aggro, which just isn't a thing you see very often. <laughs> Maestro's is generally the slow deck of the format. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so getting into blue now, so way in blue has been pretty heavily ahead, so it's important to mention the cards that we thought were going to be good and are bad, because, like, as a whole, white and blue are good, so cards being bad in white or blue is notable. So, public enemy, well, public enemy, <laughs> I, I blame Kara for this one, and the reason why is he kept hyping it up, and he's like, oh, we, we, we both hyped each other up. And, you know, and then we both overrated it, and the card was bad. And we kind of knew it was bad, but then we got excited about it. So in the situation where the format is slow, right, this card, I think, is still good. The problem is is that the aggressive decks are evasive, so Public Enemy ends up being really bad if you're against one of those, and even if you are one of those. Just ground stalls don't happen in blue decks, I think, is the problem yeah. with this card. Yeah, in like the meta that Rumor Gatherer is playable, so is Public Enemy. But neither of them are playable. They're just too slow. They just don't like do enough immediately. Yeah. They have potential to be good in a longer game, but they're just not good here. I made a lot of wishy-washy concessions to try to kind of hedge the bets against the format being this two-color fast format, because that was kind of a shoot-the-moon scenario for me because it's literally the three color set and i think public enemy ended up being one of the casualties of that or maybe yeah. not the casualties maybe more of the the hype parts of the slower yeah. format yeah but it's a neat card and i'd love to see the effect on like maybe like on a creature as a tap a bit like because there was that red rare goblin that forced creatures to attack i would love to see some like forced attacking showing up at lower rarities again to like I do think it's obnoxious if it's ever actually viable, but I love it as a control player at heart, so... Yeah, if if the format could play five black Backstreet Bruisers and actually hold back everything, then this card probably would be good. I think this card would have been good in Kamigawa. I, I think I'll say that. You think? Uh, yeah, I guess the aggro decks were really suffering against the control decks, so the control deck... I don't know if the control decks would have needed this in Kamigawa, because they were already so strong. Perhaps. Maybe it's just win more for control decks. That's also a possibility. It, it might just be just... Uh, or is, uh, you know, auras are bad, and so is this. It draws a card of cantrips. Most of the good auras yeah, yeah, yeah. cantrip on, on death. Yeah, this one doesn't ETB cantrip, it dies cantrip. And I will say, all of the die cantrip auras have not been impressive in this set. Like, all of the yeah. die cantrip auras have sucked, even though they have the built-in protection, they're still bad. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we also pretty heavily rated a little chat. Um, again, I think this was another us like believing in the the slow format. And little chat does go in the slowest deck, I would argue, which is Maestro's. It's just it's just not as insane as we expected it to be. Um, and a good comparison to this is how insane Fairy Vandal's been in this set. I think Fairy yeah. Vandal's insanity has to do more with connive than anything. But little chat was overrated by us. Yeah, and I think the Fairy Vandal, this is the most simple way to understand this format. It's a Fairy Vandal set, not a little chat set, at least right now. Yeah. 
you can't like, give oh. up board presence, unfortunately. And since you no. want to be sacking like smaller creatures to this, the ev- event where they hold for ransom your two drop isn't going to happen as much as you'd want it to. So you no. can get that little extra value. It's just awkward any time you try to cast it, I feel like. And there are some good casualty cards. They just generally need to affect the board or not care about casualty that much. Yeah, you say that, but um, Join the Maestro still isn't playable. Yeah, that card, that card sucks even in a format where it's, like, slow as balls. <laughs> um, anyway, speaking of cards that wreck to join the Maestros, we've got the surprisingly more playable than usual, especially considering everything we're saying, Disdainful Stroke. And I what I credit this to you. Do you do you know what you credit to, Tariff? Uh the fixers. Yeah. <laughs> Every deck has at least like three or four cards that get or two or three cards that get countered by this. It's so good. So even though it's fast, the fixers have ended up being the game enders. Shattered Seraph maybe a little bit less. The two that are the ones that you will probably see the most, which are Spars Adjudicators and Glamorous Outlaw, they kinda gum up the board. And you can't do anything about it once they're kind of on there. You can. It's just that Disdainful Stroke has added utility. And if you happen to hit one of those, it's a pretty good case. Especially since you saw it coming. And if you happen to hit some annoying bomb with it, that's also just upside. There are some pretty gross 6-mana and 7-mana bombs you can just scoop with this. And then you're feeling real good. Um, but yeah, card is playable. I'd say main deck one, especially if you've got some connive effects to ditch it while it's bad. That's the nice thing about connive, you can always ditch bad cards. Yeah, it makes all your stuff better. Uh, and then last in, uh, well, actually not quite last, well, for, <laughs> before we get to the last one, we've got Sleep with the Fishes, and I'd say this one is much better just because A, the casualty doesn't matter as much as we expected, and B, the fish are overperforming. The the fish are overperforming. Okay, here's the thing, right? You'd think that they would just be good in board stalls, but these fish fucking race. You will die to fish even when you you don't have the board stalled. Yeah, the the, the fish, because, like... They prevent you. You can't ever leave the race once there's fish in the race. The fish, they, the fish pull you in, and you have to race. And then if they like knock out, blow you, the game's over. Yeah. So yeah, the fish are good, uh, which means the sleep of the fishes is good, you know. So, uh, and then Cariff, uh, I'll let you lead off our last blue card. Okay, so it's sewer crocodile. And Drafter and I, right before this podcast, we were like, oh, we have to have, add a hit or misses deck. Uh, section to the podcast and i said well sewer crocodile has overperformed for me and my opponents and drafter still does not believe that this is true i do believe it has been good in games you played in i just have literally never seen it cast in like the, the entirety of my like the format i like i mean me and care are playing on different clients i'm playing on arena he's playing on moto but I, I have genuinely not seen a crocodile cast. I don't think I've run a crocodile. It baffled me you'd be running a crocodile in a world with glamorous outlaws and shattered serifs. So the play pattern for me has, or that I've seen, has been this is just glamorous outlaw when you don't have another glamorous outlaw. It blocks really well. It gums up the board, and then not only that, but it can get in for four damage. So it's kind of like an overpowered uh, fish. 
And by the time you're playing this in a control deck, the amount of times you can activate it for one is not too bad, and the amount of times you activate it for four is also pretty okay. It's not too bad. It, it's kind of like Gear Seeker Serpent, honestly. Obviously, Gear Seeker Serpent you could cast for two mana. That's the one that had affinity for artifacts in Kaladesh. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, the activated ability on that has ended some amount of games, and also if you catch your opponent just playing a bunch of really small creatures, uh, there's not a huge chance that they can deal with it, especially since By Your Silence has gone down a lot. I don't think it's the worst card in the world, but I do think it might be, like, the worst in the 5 or 6 drop slot. It just, like every 5 or 6 drop in a lot of these sets, like, you don't mind having 1 to 2 5 or 6 drops, but I would posit that I think this one is, like, the worst one. Like, <laughs> True, but you, you told me to keep cutting it from decks. We were also drafting, and I kept putting it in the main deck on my client, right? And drafter kept saying, we're never playing that, right? And I'm not even sure anymore. I, I'm going to maybe test it out a little bit. If you're in a slower deck that actually wants to block with the Crocodile, it's still worse than, like, Psychic Pickpocket, it's still worse than... I would say it's still worse than Speakeasy Server. Like, uh, it's maybe, not good. And it's worse than every fixer. Maybe this is a casualty of blue being good and people realizing that almost immediately, is that people who have blue decks probably need a, another playable, and this Crocodile yeah. has game-ending potential. Look, I'm going to tell you it's a fine 23rd, but I'm going to tell you if I have, like, any other card I could make my 23rd that does something and costs less than 6 mana, I'm probably playing it instead. I still don't know about that. I, I still think that it not only has a place in control decks, it has a place in a lot of them. Yeah, the other thing that I might be having problems with with my data is that this card got me by them playing Hostile Takeover. So maybe that I mean yeah oh wow hostile takeover did uh, hostile takeover by for for fun fact I believe is still the highest data rare in the uh, set yeah yeah that's hostile takeover yeah games played not like draft picks right it is the highest game in hand win rate card in the rare slot it's not the it's not super high it's only like ninth in opening hands but opening hands has some like really low drops that are super insane like giada is the second highest opening hand win rate card and it's way lower in games and hand win rate mm -hmm. okay yeah because giada is insane on two obviously <laughs> um what else we got next uh yeah girder goons that card's been like we thought it was good the card's been amazed like really strong i still don't um, get blitz and drafter will probably have to explain why blitz is good again to me because it just feels like you're giving up board presence like obviously with girder goons you're not right maybe that's why it's the best one and it's super overperforming is that it's a like a lava axe that leaves behind a 2-2 and the 2 and draws matters. you a card and draws you a card, no, but it, it, it's the modality that matters, Gareth. They're basic. They're split cards. They can either function as burn or board presence. And being a split card is so insane. And it's burn that cycles as well. Like um, I had a deck that had like three nightclubbers in it, which obviously is insane. But I was in a situation at one point where like neither of us had any board presence, 
Um, but my opponent was pretty low on life, so I went Blitz Nightclubber, Blitz Nightclubber, hit you for four, get two new cards, and that gives me more pressure to put on, rather than just running out two two twos that would have just gone stonewalled by a 3-3. Three, three. Rock card advantage is good, but it feels like if you're gonna be putting bodies onto the battlefield, that'd still be better in that scenario, right? Because... It wasn't. I would have definitely lost that game if I hadn't blitzed both of those guys. But why? Why would you have lost? That's the, that's the real question, right? Because thinking about those two cards, right? Let's say yeah. that you just drew two lands, which I think you actually did, right? Why is that better than just having a 2-2? Two -two? Uh, the, the thing is, is the 2-2s two were not... The 2-2s the two helped me close out the game faster and actually get the game over with. And it helped me get towards my more relevant cards... And the 2-2s two just, like, board presence is good, but if just a random 2-2 two -two in the late game, well, they have a 4-4. Four -four. Doesn't matter that much, you know? Okay. And also, just sometimes you get to blitz things. Like, Workshop Warchief, for example, the green rhino rare, with that, it happens to have blitz on it. The blitz doesn't come up that often, but it is a real part of the card, because sometimes you just throw down 5 power and they die. I guess. It just Haste is a powerful ability. It just doesn't feel like you want that many times to blitz, but... I see Girdergoon's blitz, like... I think I see it blitzed more than I see it cast. I will it's say good. that the blitz being four does feel a little bit above curve yeah. when you're playing it. Like, I, I get that Girdergoon's is good, but I'm still thinking, oh man, this is a 2-2, right? Every other blitz card just feels feels bad. Maybe the black ones are just good because they're in black, and then the red ones are bad because the haste thing... There's not uh, enough aggression. Kaldaya's strong arm is also playing super well. That's right. um, that's still strange. I've also seen a good number of Riveteers decoys and a reasonable number of blitz. Um, Red does have the issue of being bad, but Plasma Jockey is still a real card. Like I've died to Plasma Jockeys before. It, you have to get the right base around to build them, but. And then Riveteer's Requisitioner is awesome, but that's mostly just because the card is pretty good. The Blitz matters a lot less on that card, but we always knew that. All right, let's go back up one to Dig Up the Body, because we didn't actually talk about that. Oh, and... wow, I ignored Dig Up the Body, Laval. <laughs> I mean, you could. That's the thing about Dig Up the Body, is that we uh, yeah. thought it was going to be amazing, and then it ended up being not really that playable, to be completely honest. I think the issue with it is the matchup where you want it, which is slow v slow, it loses you the game because it builds you four cards. Yeah, there's no real bombs to get. In, in the Maestro's deck, you kind of just want to grind them out with two-for-ones. And yeah. if you're getting a Glamorous Outlaw back with this, it doesn't actually feel that great. Uh, and if you try to do it twice... Not only are you milling four cards, which ended up being real somehow, even in a format with aggression... It also just gets you back the creature that you sacrificed. So you're really just upgrading a creature, which is the same problem with Join the Maestros, is that you're not actually getting that much value because the sacrificed creature is just getting replaced. And it doesn't even yep. go to your battlefield, right? It just goes to the hand, so you have to cast again. No, it is just... It is severely worse than just, like, Soul soul Salvage, right? Which is the sorcery, two mana, three mana, get back two creatures. Holy it is shit. played a lot worse than Soul Salvage. I miss Soul Salvage so much. But that's yeah. a moment for another day. <laughs> bring, bring back Dominaria again, cowards. They, they literally are. They literally are. 
Wait, it's coming back again? Dominaria United is what I meant. But, oh, okay, this is not actual Dominaria. <laughs> eh, whatever. All right, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Crooked Custodian. The being tapped just doesn't matter that much is the moral of the story, and you just want to be rumbling with a 3-2 on Teru. Yeah, it's really good for aggressive decks in red-black, and that deck usually ends up being good. So Crooked Custodian, yeah. you did it. it. It's pretty good in Esper, too. Good in blue-black. Yeah. It it's trades with card. a lot of stuff. It's probably kind yeah. of the same reason that Rafine's Informant is, like, the most popular white common on the face of the Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's not true, Karif. Inspiring Overseer is the most popular white common on the face of the Earth. Is Rafine's Informant... I thought Rafine's Informant had better data than... Nope, Inspiring Overseer is still solidly over it, I believe. Um, mm. Yeah, so, alright, for context, the game in hand win rate on Inspiring Overseer is 63%. What the hell? Um... 63%. Um, uh, and Rafine's Informant is pulling second place, but with only a 60.5% win rate. Like, it is a three-point difference, and, like, there is no gap that big anywhere else on the list. <laughs> but you always... Is substantially better than everything You else. always cast it, though. It's a turn two play. I feel like the card just has so much more utility than the Overseer... I'm not saying that it's obviously better, and it's not, according to uh, literally everybody else but me. So, <laughs> I still think Rafine's Informant is a hella good common, and I think the Crooked Custodian comparison is probably more fair than you'd like to make it seem. On Rafine's Informant? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do think the cards are comparable. I, I, I like I like Crooked Custodian, and they, being a 3-2-on-3 three, three matters. It helps get that. Every point of damage matters in this format, and having Rumbling for 3 matters. Uh, and yeah, Rafine's Informant is, uh, is great, and the Connive, I think, is a touch better than just being a 3-2-for-3, three, three, but yeah. All right, yeah, it's fun, fun fact, the only other card that has nearly as big a gap between Inspiring Overseer and Rafine's Informant on the data is the second-to-last and last card, with Jackhammer coming in at a hot 42% <laughs> compared to 48% on the next highest card. Jackhammer <laughs> is awful. Never put a Jackhammer in your deck. All right. <laughs> Speaking of red cards, red's data sucks. Yeah, uh, Jackhammer isn't the only bad red card, I'll let you know. <laughs> Light him up has suffered, uh, what else? I don't know, just generally the cards that you think would be good, like Exhibition Magician and all that kind of stuff. Yep. It's just not big enough, and I don't think people have found the deck that wants to play the red spells. And maybe it's just because people are mixing them incorrectly, because it does feel like there's two styles of red spells in this set. The really plodding Maestro's ones, and the really aggressive Riveteers and whatever the hell Cabaretti cards are doing. Yeah. But even then, a lot of the white cards just are generically good. So are the blue cards. So are the green cards. So are the black cards. Red yeah. has much more of a thematic pull to both of these card sides, I think. The, uh, the the reason to be in red at common is strangle. If you see multiple strangles early, you want to be in red. Every other red card is just like a good leg and foot below like strangle. Even um, my uh, draft decks that I've had that are red black are pretty consistently in black more than they are in red. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, you, you wanted to know why Blitz is good, Karif. It also activates your favorite buddy body dropper. Oh god, okay, body dropper moment. Body dropper was our <laughs> top multicolor card in the set. And I do like to call certain decks theme decks, right? Because it's pretty obvious what you're supposed to do with them. It's like the adventure theme deck in Throne of Eldraine or the zombie theme deck in Midnight Hunt. There is a sacrifice theme deck that looks like it's very obvious and looked like it was very supported. And so my mind immediately went to those resource heavy. Oh god, like the I'm just grindy missing. like aristocrats deck. Like he like sacks some stuff and it, it like you know. Yeah, it has uh, a lot of it has a lot of consistency. I guess is what I was trying. Yeah, to yeah, say. it's got a lot of redundancy in the deck. You can yeah. get your effects pretty consistently. Redundant pieces, and they specifically called out sacrifice on two very specific cards. And this was the other side of the set review where I was shooting the moon and saying, these decks are going to be very good because people are going to be dicking around. Turns out that the minute that people stopped dicking around, this deck got a lot worse. Because yeah. Rafine's Informant uh, stops up the ground really well, and it's just so easy to go over this deck once you've kind of set up your shop. That being said, I still think there's a place for it. There definitely is a lot of fun, menacey creatures that just get in for a lot of damage that I think tend to be pretty good because people are still, while developing their board, not really able to block in the early turns. I just think that you probably want to be heavily into body droppers, like three of them, right? And then two forge bosses. And that's not realistic for a lot of players, I don't think. Yeah, the way you get into the deck is that people are so busy fighting over the other, like, the, the, the known decks that you can snag up the powerful cards. You get your strangles, you get your body droppers, you get some forge bosses, and you really just get a really optimized version of this deck. And now all your, like, all these other people are playing with these cannibalized versions of their, like, blue-white piles, and you've got this thick black-red deck. But I still think that the problem is, is that those cannibalized versions still have a real shot against this deck and yeah. so if you don't build the body dropper deck exactly right it kind of doesn't do well and if, think, the, yeah. and if somebody's fighting you for it you're both screwed yeah you're both really really fucked yeah where you could fight someone for blue white and you both end up with a good deck yeah um, yeah, and uh. Why did you put patch up in here, Drafter? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do it? Uh, uh, no, Karif. You know how patch up uh, ranks among white uncommons? Uh, I've heard it's pretty goddamn good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I will. I'll give you credit, Karif. The win rate's over 50%. Oh, I yeah. honestly didn't expect it to be that high. However, oh it is the worst white uncommon of the set. Oh my god. <laughs> Come on. It lets you get back multiple cards. I don't understand why it's bad. It oh, you just never get back multiple cards, Kara, if the card's bad. Uh. I, I will tell you in paper, I got. Uh, I, it has, was obnoxious against me, and the guy got back his disappointing duelist, and I felt bad about it. I still think I killed him, but. <laughs> well, uh, maybe but one yeah. day. Patchup's time in the sun has yet to come. 
Yeah. I think this but, uh, ability costs one less. It might be good. At two mana, I think... Because Unearth is a good card. I think Unearth is a good card. But that card also is cycling and costs one mana. I, I think the upside of getting back a two and a one feel pretty good. Maybe I was just thinking, like, oh, man, two creatures, that's Collected Company. And that is not ever how this card plays out. It's way harder to get things in your graveyard than you are thinking it is, Gareth. That's probably just the issue. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, big thing in this set is that blue-white has been insane, and specifically in blue-white, Brokers has pulled ahead of the other ones. Brokers I has the better uncommon suite compared to Obscura, which is why it's the better form of blue-white. I would also argue the white-green cards are better than the blue-black cards, which also pulls Brokers ahead. And then, yeah, a, Brokers is, like, the strongest deck. Yeah, that's where it's at. So, we've talked about Inspiring Overseer already, and Rafine's Informant. Data is so stacked on this deck that Broker's Hideout is a top win rate common. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of getting nuts, and I think the thing that we want to recognize is, once again, my favorite way to describe this podcast, the fourth podcast of about Limited that you listen to, is that everybody knows this now. It is not a it, secret. It has been a no. week and a half, and everybody knows. Even at your local well, game store, you're going to get people no. saying that Inspiring Overseer and Jewel Thief are the best commons in the set, and they're not going to be wrong, and everybody's going to be trying to force it. I mean, the people at my game store think Mask Bandit's the best card, so that's why I keep winning, but you know. You went 1-2. and two. <laughs> You went 1-0 yeah, drop. I, I went 1-0 drop, you know. I'll be winning soon you know yeah sure sure that that's obviously one data point but yeah, yeah. no 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 but people do know this like the brokers deck and the the blue white cards are like during like the first couple days of the format i was getting decks with like gross numbers of like celestial regulators and, and it was insane um and that's just not happening anymore people know that card's good celestial regulator is still easier to get in pack two once you're in the deck that's one of the yeah. fun things about multicolor sets a lot of the time is that since there's a lot of really hard to cast stuff, you get all that stuff wheeling to you, right? Yeah. But you just sometimes that, get gross bombs in pack three, like just like fist pick. Yeah, exactly. And so being in those colors is something you have to be in first, though. And that is really a signaling issue and how you read those and figuring out very early on what's your lane i think is pretty important absolutely yeah that being um, said one of the things that you can do is just draft one color for a little bit and then just see which side you kind of eke out on being base white ends up really being a good place to start obviously everybody's gonna first pick inspiring overseer pretty close to it but if you can get into that deck early and start to accrue some of the counter sub theme stuff, all of that stuff ends up kind of getting getting to you. Yeah, I think white and blue are the two best colors to start in. I actually think I like blue a touch better because white I think is a little stronger, but I think blue blue gives you the most flexible options because blue gives you three valid options. All three of the blue tries 
and all like the blue dual and the two blue dual color pairs are like pretty good where white cuts one try out you, you like you cabaretti is not a place you want to be i'd say that if you're in white green you can splash for some cabaretti cards you can but... it's true you can if you get like some of the growth red cards you can but yeah yeah and white's not a bad place to be either i like blue a touch better but that's just personal preference the big thing is that the counter synergy is probably heaviest in blue white it's a little bit in green but not even really the best green common cares about treasure more than it does counters well, the so, green, best green card cares about having good stats more than anything, but... Oh, yeah, that that is true. That that treasure will ramp you into a 5-drop. But the important thing to note is that the counter sub-theme is really heavy in base white, uh, rather than heavy in base blue. Broker's mm -hmm. Veteran has not turned out to be a great card, and Backstreet Bruiser, while there is a space for it, probably, you never want to be aiming to do that. And so... No. Being in base white opens you up to the best deck in the format, and probably the second best, which is not citizens, but just green white. And then blue opens you up to two very different styles of decks, right? You've got the more tempo oriented stuff with blue white, uh, and you've got the more controlly version of blue, black, red, right? Yeah. And you can kind of go either way with Obscura. Obscura can end up in a slower or a faster deck, depending on how much white you have compared to black. Honestly, just it it feels like there's a lot of decks you can build in this format, but they're really hinging on like two di different colors. Yeah, the 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 biggest breaking point in this whole format is the red green. Red green dual color pair is like notably weaker than all of the other ones and that's what breaks the you know like the the the, the circle you know i still think there should be like a green red deck there's some fun stuff you can do in it but maybe not i don't know professional yeah, face maybe. is kind of a reason to be there uh, but we'll, we'll get to metagaming in a second yeah, we'll, i think we'll get to that about, first yeah. let's talk about personal yeah. experience because we have yeah, yeah. played this format i think of about yeah. 10 drafts in how much are you in Oh, uh, God, uh, probably somewhere close to that. That sounds about right, yeah. Drafting on Moto has been really rough. Uh, at no point have I gotten a 3-0 during this format. <laughs> so I was really on the blue-white train even before people had the data to know that it was good, right? Mm. And... I was still getting blown out by shit. And maybe this is just me not knowing the set yet, right? Sometimes there's still inefficiencies in your early decks, even if the color combination is good, because you're just not playing the right cards. I do have the entire replay feature on Moto to go check, but I still feel like there wasn't a whole lot of shit I could do to to, to, change, to change my outcome. I mean, 2-1 is not too bad. It's not 3-0, and I'm never getting my name on the Moto leaderboard, but... <laughs> yeah, I believe it. One of these days you'll get there, Kara. If your decks are good, it's just... Competition on Moto is tough, because all the... the, the it's, it's, it's some pretty hardcore players on Moto, you know? There's a lot of uh, funny... Not inefficiency, I'd say, but just personal preference and strategic reasoning that a lot of people end up doing in draft, right? 
it's it's really hard to not only navigate what people think is the metagame versus what actually is the metagame. Sometimes there's mm. decks like, I don't know, green in Battle for Zendikar, or zombies in, uh, in Midnight Hunt that just fly head and shoulders over everything else, right? But this set yep. does seem to have a bit of, oh, should I take X or Y... Uh, what's the first pick, and that those are real arguments to have, right? Mm. Or like second, or even second and third pick. Should I pick? I don't know this uncommon that's multicolored over this other common that's single colored but slightly worse. Yeah. Um. No, it, the, the set's been pretty cool. So yeah, I, I pulled up. I I use seventeen lands to record all my arena data, so I have it all in front of me right now. So I've had, let's see, I've done one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So I've finished ten drafts and have one that I'm playing right now. Of those drafts, half of them have hit seven wins, which ain't bad at all. Oh my god. Um, yeah. And of those decks, four of them were in blue-white. Two were just blue-white. One was Esper and one was Bant. And then the fifth one was, uh, was Grixis. So, despite the deck being overdrafted, I don't think I've had a single draft where I haven't been blue-white on Moto. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's a, a part of the issue. But I um, have not really gotten into this format as much as I'd like to in terms of discovering the other colors. I have yep. discovered people playing cards that I think are bad, and that could be tilting. Uh, yeah. Okay, so the Chrome Cat deck from last week. Let's talk about this <laughs> this bad boy. All right. So the Chrome Cat deck was just a blue-white deck that was playing somewhere upwards of probably three Majestic Metamorphoses. Maybe that's why they won. But I was playing what I thought was a pretty good blue-white deck. It had a couple backup agents in two and Celestial Regulators on three. It was fairly bread and butter, right? And this guy... He, the games didn't go to flooding or not flooding, which was crazy. Every single time I was just in awkward scenarios where I I could not attack. This was also a person running... Well, Disdainful Stroke's a good card. I, I don't remember everything else. I think it was Gilded Pinions or something like that. Just a bunch of random lower impact cards on the battlefield right and even though i had these like pretty pretty good commons combat still really mattered and i think i lost to a sewer crocodile <laughs> i want to say yeah, yeah i'm pretty sure Karif has just been no once you lose to sewer crocodile it corrupts your mind and makes it and uh, believe it's a good i've lost card, to sewer you know? crocodile three times is that corrupting your mind or is that like just yeah yeah the sewer crocodiles are getting you you know they're getting to you you're you're actually it, it, it's actually grammar without law that's killing you it's just you can only see sewer crocodiles they couldn't cast because it was blue white <laughs> whatever whatever <laughs> oh i'm messing with you this is another thing uh, where like i i feel like a problem with the current magic like online landscape is just having the fact that you can hit three brokers decks on moto or three brokers decks on arena back to back. I genuinely am getting kind of tired of playing against brokers too. Oh man, uh, I see a good amount of. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking at like some of my decks, and yeah, once you start hitting higher wins, you start running into like mono brokers. It is true. I don't know. I have seen some cool decks at high wins. Um, I will say the Grixis decks. When you get a good like the one Grixis deck, I trophied with. 
that deck like nearly 7-0'd and end up 7-1 in most of my games felt like not even close. That deck was really insane. I had three Night Clubbers. It was like in Night Clubber is the most insane card because it kills Discipline Duelist. So once you get into those higher wins and people are playing Brokers decks and dropping Discipline Duelists on three, just Night Clubber ends their whole game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't played black yet except for in person, and I think I've played black twice in paper, and that's my big thing that I've played so far in papers, just that's my experimentation. I pulled an Omnixilus pack to pick one after already being in blue-black, and so uh, I could tell everybody with my own two eyes I saw that Omnixilus is good. I won... Pretty much every game it. that I cast Omnixilus in. And once I stopped drawing Omnixilus, I started becoming much worse at the game. I went 2-1 yeah. in person as well, losing to a deck with Sanctuary Warden. It was not even close because I didn't have Omnixilus, genuinely. Like, <laughs> that was just yeah, yeah. how it was. Um, yeah, I've seen Omnixilus once. I very much lost a game when they cast him. It was brutal. Yep. Uh, so that's uh, your pretty epic dusk dawn strategic info right there obnixil yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if anything you take away from this just remember obnixil is good the other thing um, is that i played I, maestro's initiate a lot and it seemed to be okay but i mean the data is bad on that right it's not great i mean it gets accidentally caught up by night clubber which is always sad um it's okay you just don't get to activate it very often five mana is a lot to just be chilling with sure sure but it feels like a thing you can connive because that's what i was doing with it is that you just kind of mill one over with snooping newsy and then bada boom you did it yeah it, it, this, the, as long as you have enough connive like also i've seen rafine's uh guidance is pretty good and i've played with it a lot more recently and it's been pretty good so yeah i think being on rafine's guidance is not a bad thing to be doing these days either Okay. Um, oh man. And my in-person draft was uh, my deck was pretty thick. I thought we only played three rounds at my LGS. Um, and my first round, I won game one pretty handily. Game two got big mana screwed, which happens, you know. And then I played pretty poorly in game three. I, I could have prevented myself from dying. I had instant speed removal. I didn't hold up, and I ended up dying to luxurious libation on a fish. So. <laughs> Very sad, and then uh, I got the buy-in round two, to, so decided to save myself some time and just go home. I think the deck was a lot better than it was, but... Luxurious Libation has become a good card because of the fish. It's true. I, I mean, I think it would have been an okay card without the fish, but the fish make it just, like, a combat, like, a, a reasonable combat trick that sometimes becomes, like, fireball to your opponent's face. <laughs> if you've ever misplayed Lifecrafter's Gift on uh ether revolt limited slash sealed that's the feeling that you get when you play luxurious libation <laughs> you're just like oh wait this card is sick and it doesn't even pull you back and say oh no you can only put it on an artifact or some shit it's just <laughs> you can kill people with fish at instant yeah. speed it's nuts it's so gross yeah um, also, my favorite seven-win deck of the format is a deck that, um, I got Obscura Ascendancy in pack oh three, and, and then I played it, and it was good. Um, <laughs> Obscura Ascendancy, a by-the-data awful card, and I will stand by it being an awful card, despite the fact I got a seven-win deck with it. 
but it won me like a lot of games notably i had like five one drops five two drops and i think that's where you need to be at for obscure ascendancy to be a good card for you but keep in mind like even like these cards that like are awful by data can sometimes have like niche home and this deck was a good obscure ascendancy deck I still can't believe it. I tried to convince people that Obscura Ascendancy, like, you were playing it and having success with it, and they just did not believe me. Nobody at my LGS believed that anybody had won with that card. I have literal, like, recorded data on on 17 lands. I can put put the deck and all this data in the show notes if people want to see it. Sure, sure. DM it to me and I'll I'll get it to you. Yeah, I'll I'll send care of the deck so you guys can all... Not believe my in crazy uh desper obscure ascendancy deck yeah one more funny off note that we that i wanted to mention because we actually did this on stream is that i was playing i want to say it was an obscure deck uh i think it was blue white because of course it was on moto and we ran into this guy playing control right and he was about to go out and we had make disappear in hand so you were feeling pretty good about it, right? He goes, cut your losses, okay? Uh, sacrificing it to casualty. And so that's three quarters of the library. So I decided to only go down to half, because he's almost down on library, and I'm thinking, okay, cool, right? That'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, go down yeah, to, like, two going. cards in the library at the very end of the game, right? So... <laughs> oh, like, turn 37... Or whatever it yeah, is yeah. that... There's, like, nothing left in two his cards. Deck. Yeah, there's nothing left. They cast the second custard. <laughs> Cut your losses. <laughs> Casualty. I mean, two cards in deck. Right? So, two cards in deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell them what happens, Drafter. So, so the card says rounded down, which means when you cast it when your opponent has two cards in deck, with casualty, it mills them for one, and then when they have one card in deck, it mills them for zero. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god they they had that was their last play of the game and because yep. obviously we draw our last card right yep. yeah we drew our last card and then they decked it was hysterical yeah um if you ever needed proof that uh that uh cut your losses is a bad card that is we were in the control mirror and he had two of them and it was still awful it milled for zero <laughs> for six mana Oh my god. <laughs> okay. A, tome okay. Sc- a single Tome Scour would have been better in that game, I think. Okay, we already talked about Rabble Rising being good in the actual rare review, so I don't think we need to go over that again. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about some of the cards that can pull you into not blue white decks. Like reasons that you would like fire up your draft and be like, Man, I'm not going to play blue-white this draft. The other thing is that sometimes you just see cards that are not blue-white in your packs, and you're thinking, oh man, I'm never going to be able to build this in this pool, right? Because, yeah, yeah. yeah, sometimes another seed is blue-white, and that's just not something yeah. you, you can deal with. And so nope. I, I think something that we want to kind of balance is that I haven't had a ton of interaction and experiences with these decks and specifically playing them and yep. so i know all the bombs that are really good that will get you into that stuff and we can talk about some of those but maybe some of the glue pieces as well that might pull you into specifically yeah. other colors 
Yeah, not only, yeah, we'll talk about some of the bombs that would, like, pull you in pack one, pick one, but there's also some, like, commons that if you see, like, late enough in the pack, you should be like, huh, maybe I'll play X, you know? So two of the important things that I think you need to look out for are Murder and Strangle, because yep. even though Murder is good and Strangle is really good, if you see these going probably, like, pack one, pick five, that means that people are not either confident enough in black or that just nobody's in black because the double black does matter and a lot of the problems with shield counters that i was thinking were going to happen ended up happening and the one for one is a little bit worse than it looks like in sets with just inspiring overseer right yeah so um, you can still pick it up though pretty late and it is still good especially against some of the bigger stuff and then strangle is the other one where if you see that late that that's your signal to go into red because nobody's taking it the other one i also think that's worth mentioning is girder goons i think girder goons is actually like good enough that if you see them like later in the pack like they, they're probably not someone in black and you want to hop into that yeah, because the Girder Goon's plan of just, after turn four, continually gooning them to the ground is a yeah. play pattern that will win you games. Yep. And, like, yeah, you're never seeing Jewel Thief late, because everyone knows that card is awesome. And, like, and it just has the allure, because it has so much hype around it, it just doesn't go late. Um, you just don't get them late. Um, the thing is, is that it's a stat monster, but a lot of the decks that you would want to play in green that want to play that card aren't actually that interested in, like, stat monsters outside of just the fact that it is a 3-3 Vigilance Trample, right? Yeah. There's no synergy with it. And well, it fixes. It, it, it synergizes with having a splash. I suppose. Because it just lets you play your splash card, and it lets you play your probably powerful splash card early. Yes, it is still very good. Yeah. It's just that it's harder to get into green because the best common is so hyped up and hard to build around. It doesn't help yeah. that, what is it, Cabaretti and Riveteers are just stone cold unplayable? Or, they're not stone cold unplayable, they're not. but they're so hard. Yeah, you basically, so if you're in Cabaretti, you want to probably be in white, green, splashing red, or if you're actually in red, you want it to be, like, you want to have, like, like notable number of strangles that are pulling you in. Yeah, uh, part of Black Red's issue, or, like, uh, Grixis's, or not, uh, fucking Jun, Jun's issue, <laughs> yeah. is that, like, the cards that should be inclining you to splash just aren't. Um, Crew Captain is a bad card, we knew this way but like even when we thought jund was potentially just a good deck in the set review we already knew crew captain was bad you know yeah the charm is fine but it's not yeah. impressive and then my beautiful boy mr orfeo is big garbage <laughs> don't put him in your deck <laughs> so i think one of the other things about riveteers is that it's an aggro deck that wants to be three colors and yeah. nope that's not gonna happen it's it's just yeah. not it that Blit, no no amount of blitz will save you from the fact that if you're blitzing under costed cards on turn five you're not going to be able to get in i don't other cards you should keep an eye out for is if nightclubber is going late for some ungodly reason pick it up um it is so insane rafine silencer is also notably also insane it usually two for ones them as well makes it really hard to attack in um if you see on this pack one pick one or pack one pick yeah, two, yeah. then take it 
And yeah, talking about rares, um, there there are just a few rares and mythics that are just so insane that you just don't care that they are not in the good colors. You just want to play them. A uh, Fleetfoot Dancer, good Naya card, so insane that you will play Naya for it. Yeah, and even in the fact that it is three colors, not only does three colors in this format specifically mean that you're splashing for either of them, right? Yep. Maybe not with Fleetfoot Dancer, but you know what I mean. It yeah. also means that it's usually castable and you can pick up slight fixing for one side or the other. Yep. I would also try to make Jund work on opening Zeatora, because Zeatora is such an insane card that um, I would try to play Jund for it. What you should know is that don't half-ass trying to go aggro with that deck. Just yeah. try to make sure that you can cast yeah. Zeatora. Play Black Red and just pick up some pieces of fixing. Uh, about fixing, like, if you're playing three-color, don't play, like, full three-color and don't pick fixing. You, 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 like, you can't just be like, oh, it's a three-color deck, so my colors always work out. You need, like, pieces of fixing, and having, like, a lot of them really does pay off. I've had a deck with, like, seven tap lands and, like, two fixers, and the deck was, like, substantially better for it. I think the reason that most of the, like, draw card lands are pretty good is because there are two-color decks, uh, yep. You don't crack the off-color ones that often, and I wouldn't try to go four-color off the back of those. Yep. But, like, you should run uh, to uh, uh, the the, uh, the the bad evolve, the, the whatever, the what are we calling the weird evolving wilds, Gareth? Uh, I'm just going to call the, them the, the, the family lands. <sighs> I'm calling them the family lands. What what the hell are those? The the panoramas? I'm gonna call them like sack panoramas or something. I don't. I'm gonna know. call them family lands. The sure. family lands. Don't feel bad about running two like only family lands that only hit two colors in your deck. In fact, you should like if you were like in pack three, low on fixing in pack like in pick three or four, you see like a, a two color uh, family land for you. Take it. You you desperately need it. Yeah, it's really good. It it yeah. ends up just making a lot of the draws a lot smoother, right? Even if you have a lot of early drops, you can still afford to play one of those on turn one. But yeah, and yeah, don't, don't be afraid of playing the not-blue-white decks. Like, it, it's going to be a lot easier to end up in the blue-white decks, but if you have a good reason to be in the other decks, do it. Make it happen. So the reason that I was in black-red at the last in-person draft that I got was because somebody passed me uh, Agnes the Dragon's Lash, and I had already taken a Tenacious Underdog. And at that point, those are two pretty solid reasons to be in those colors. Yeah. And at, even if your card quality is generally lower, it's not that much lower that you can't take wins off of people. I was also running two antagonizes in that deck, so this is just me bragging about that deck. It only went 2-1. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> No, no, it's sweet, yeah. And yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta be, just, just use your brain while drafting. Important information to, that's another, remember, uh, all Nixel is good and use your brain while drafting. That's, that's our two takeaways from the, 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 the thing so far. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. And uh, uh, for our last segment of this, uh, we've got uh, what 17 lands will tell you. So um, I made a couple of jokes last time on the podcast that we're going to learn a lot about what 17 lands won't tell you is care if a drafter make jokes about rare on rare synergies. And now we're going to talk about the actual yeah. real data and try to parse why. 
that happens. We're gonna analyze it. We're gonna use our minds. Well, well, before before that, I'm gonna tell you one thing. Seventeen lands won't tell you if you have two legendary creatures in play, <laughs> and witness protection gets cast on both of them. You'll have to sacrifice one of your legendary legitimate business persons to the legend rule. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, it, very important will come up twice in the format. One of them happened to me, which is why I know about it. Yeah, um, loyal, loyal yeah, barons yeah. <laughs> are really feeling it right now. All right, so the first thing I want to lead off on is we've talked about like the uh, some cards being good, but specifically discipline duelist the the bant two one double strike with shield counter. It's like pick psychic pickpocket. The four and a blue, three two that connives and then bounces something, and corpse appraiser. The Grixis three drop that exile the creature card from a graveyard and then like lets you do a cool impulse. Basically, those cards are like notably better than all of the other uncommons data wise. Um, like they they are truly a league above. I would first pick all of them in a heartbeat. Even the like psychic pickpocket's easy because it's a mono blue card. But so, Duelist and Corpse Appraiser are so insane, I would first pick them in a heartbeat. The craziest thing about me for that is, I'm assuming you're talking about game in hand win rates, right? Yes, this is game in... Yeah, so the data I'm using... And I should go over this, actually. Game in hand win rate is the data I care about the most, because I think it... All of the data points are going to have a little bit of a leaning. You can listen to limited resources if you want to learn about that and Zirkovitz will tell you he's more he knows more than I do um but I I'm extrapolating pretty easy to find data out of these points you know but but I'm doing it for you so you know yeah so the thing about Discipline Duelist and Corpse Appraiser is that Discipline Duelist and Corpse Appraiser are three color cards right and the game in hand win rate is high even when you get flooded right yep and I like don't yeah. understand that. Like, Discipline Duelist is is a card that is always good up until turn six, and maybe that's just the reason why it's good, is that I, double spelling this into, like, I don't know, backup agent is still a worthwhile play. But it's just so strange to me that these cards that look like they should be cast on turn three in order to be, like, amazing are just the highest win rate even in the cases where you don't do that. So, like, I'm going to tell you if Discipline Duelist is, it's good any time in the game, and any time in the game, it basically just shuts off the ground. Your opponent can't get in when it Discipline Duelist is on the ground. And then sometimes you actually have ways to put more counters on it, and then it's got double strike, and then you win the game. Something I was really surprised about is that uh, if you block with a Quaza or, like, a 3-4... Yeah, yeah. That Quaza dies, and the Duelist is still around. Yes, it's brutal. <laughs> so even if you have, like, a chunky creature that could, like, trade in quotation marks with it, it doesn't even trade. It just gets one iteration of it off. You still need to do that again. You need to have two creatures with three or more toughness to kill this thing without, like, some shenanigans, of course. Yeah. Which... I, I think Discipline Duelist being so insane, like, single-handedly inflates Nightclubber's win rate, because Nightclubber kills Discipline Duelist in a one-for-one, one, and that is just so insane. Yeah, it also, yeah, I mean, Nightclubber is nuts because there's a lot of X-1s, but the other thing about Discipline Duelist is, like, it's probably also 
heightening up revelation of powers <laughs> win rate quite yeah, a bit. Because you're gaining like eight life and it or it can fly through or like yeah. And it like is, or it just like eats something without losing the counter and gains you four life. Yeah, it is a sixteen point life swing. Yeah. So gross. Um but yeah. I'll, I'll also throw in here that, uh, I already mentioned this, but just as a reminder, Inspiring Overseer is notably better than the other commons. Um, I already talked about this earlier in the show, but it, it stands in with these three cards as just notably better than everything else. Um, All right, <laughs> Drafter, why did, you, why did you put Patch Up Worst Wild <laughs> Common here? Uh, I don't know, Karif. I just heard that somebody really liked Patch Up, but I couldn't remember who it was, so I felt like it was important. And you needed to, to crush their up. dreams, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really to absolutely it in. You know, destroy their dreams. Yeah, absolutely destroy their dreams. You know, look, you got the format mostly right, so I had to really get you good on the one you really messed up. <laughs> God! Uh. <laughs> um... Now that we're done crushing care of streams again, uh, Fountain isn't the worst. Um, I, I, I kind of assumed it was bad. You don't see it a lot because it's a mythic, but the card is pretty okay. Um, the data says it's like a medium playable, and it, it, you should take it. Like if you see one like like fifth or sixth pick, you should and you're playing white, you should be like, ah, this is probably gonna be fine in my deck. I think the reason that this ends up being good is that Inspiring Overseer gets in a lot of the time, and being able to just untap that and have another blocker makes it so that it's pretty much impossible to race on the ground. I think that the card is a nice uh, failsafe as well for when it's kind of it's a little bit win more, but it's it's still good. I, I would think. I, I don't know yeah. whether or not you would still be pulled into white because you opened a Halo Fountain, but. No. Uh, Halo Fountain, yeah. I do think Halo Fountain ends up pulling a lot of the white decks' strong points out of it. Yeah, I think Halo Fountain, the card you should probably, even if you're in white in pack three, there's probably still a better card if you open it. But if you have a lot of flyers, that's where it does get good, like Karif was saying, because you need something to be able to get in consistently. Heck, even a Broker's Initiate, just being able to swing... Um, as an 0-4 and just not die because it's an 0-4 and then you untap it for the 1-1 kit batter, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess that that is a play pattern. The, the swing for zero kind of matters with Halo Fountain. All of those, like, common cards have been playing a little bit better for me, and I know everybody's off of them for the most part, but I don't know. Like, the Broker's what, Initiate broker gets initiate? in for six a lot of the time. And I no, do I mean love six. Initiate. I do mean six, by the way. Yeah, yeah. No, no, he does get, uh, because you either drop the counter on with backup agent. Uh, I had a game not too long ago where I went broker initiate on one, backup agent on two, and then I threw a Rafine's whatever, the the one mana aura on it, and it was oh, a 2-7, and then I got to, like, turn five, and now I have a 7-7, seven, seven, and Jesus. it was terrifying. Oh my god, one of the things I do want to say is that backup agent has been the world's best bond beetle. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> He's such glue for the deck. He just always does just like because he he works with casualty. He works with the counter synergies, and he just gets your combat mass quite just right. He does everything because you just sack him to your rooftop disturbance after putting a counter on something, and then you still have the counter. It's so good. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This uh, is your second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Metropolis Angel. Um. It's a good card, don't get me wrong, and blue-white is good, 
but it isn't as insane as the other blue-white cards. Um, you shouldn't feel as, like... It, it, it's a fine card. Um, it, it's, it's even a reasonable card. But, like, if you see, like, a Rafine's Informant in the pack, you, you should probably still take the Rafine's. I'd even maybe take a backup agent over. You need that glue, and the Metropolis agent isn't that... Angel, not Agent Lamel. Okay. Uh, isn't that good of a payoff. It's also very frail, and I think that's part of its issue. That's sad. Dyson Knight Clover. It does die tonight. Getting your Metropolis Angel Knight Clovered is like I'm cry crying in your soup, you know? Like, <laughs> I can't believe this card. Uh, maybe it's just like the low ceiling, high floor, because you can just get this effect for three mana, and it is inspiring Overseer. And you just... Sure, you could get higher value off of the other spells, but yeah, it, yeah. Inspiring Overseer is just better, like seventy to eighty percent of the time. So, yeah, um, in Metropolis Angel isn't bad. Don't not run it in your deck. Just remember, it's not like you think about it before you pick it, and think before you pick. You sure, know? sure. If you're already in my earlier life, point of using your brain. Once again, uh, what is it? Exotic Pets, Exotic Pets. What, what's the date on Exotic Pets? Tell me right now. Exotic Pets is really good. That, that's the other two. Uh, exotic Pets is Exotic. Exotic Pets is pulling a 660% win rate. It's in the top 10 okay. commons. Yeah, that card's good. Yeah, okay. yeah. Though it is notably worse than Sleep with the Fishes in Data, which is funny. What the hell? Crazy. Sleep with the Fishes is the fifth highest uncommon. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, though, though, yeah, like, Night Clubber is notably above Exotic Pets, and yeah, you don't, don't let your pets get clubbed. Only one of them gets clubbed. Protect. That's the thing about That's it. That's true. So you yeah, have a 2 yeah. Assuming you played a 2-drop, as long as you played your 2-drop, which is why you need the 2-drops, you know? Mm. Out of the way, or Run Out of Town, not Out of the Way. Out of the Way is good, but Run Out of Town is also good, and I we kind of didn't think that card was going to be great. And it just turns out four mana get a body out of the way and make them lose a little tempo. The tempo matters more than we ever expected. Yeah, which is kind of crazy because buyer silence is bad. But it is an instant speed. And I do think that with all the smaller things that get counters on them, people aren't incentivized to put like a Rafine's Informant back on top, right? No. There, a lot of the smaller things that are getting in have been augmented in some way, and Run Out of Town just ends everything's career in terms of doing that, right? It's true. Uh, yeah, so it's a good card. Don't, like, like run one or two, like, or, or maybe three, you know? Like, if you top out your blue-white deck with this card, it'll be good for you. Yeah, it does seem like a good top end, because if you, yeah. like, rooftop nuisance into run out of town, and then you just, like, continue to get in, and boom, 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 you're winning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, we're gonna quickly mention that combat tricks are good again, and this time I'm gonna specify which ones are bad, because they're, it's easier to tell you which ones are bad than are good. <laughs> so, Daring Escape still is not great, and I think the reason why is it doesn't deal damage to face very good. Um, and having the option of doing big damage to face is important. Outside of Daring Escape, and then the other one that's playing a little weak is Boon of Safety, which... It's kind of surprising, because that was the one we were kind of high on. It's like, ooh, it's like Tamiya's safekeeping. But thinking about it, Revelation of Power usually does what it does outside of, like, opponent murder. trying to murder your guy. 
But Revelation of Power has the upside of getting in the extra damage, getting you that life swing, getting you that 16-point life swing with Duelist <laughs> like we were talking about. So it checks out, you know? I guess. I'm still kind of mad the boot of safety isn't that good. I have cast it when it has mattered, but when you do that, it really definitely feels like a combat trick more than some sort of value that you gained. Because the, no matter what you're doing, whether or not you're blocking or not, boon of safety, the shield counter just goes away, right? I'd rather play quick draw dagger, because that thing stays on the battlefield. It's true. The short sword is nice. Yeah, quick draw dagger is pretty good. I don't think I mentioned that anywhere in here, but yeah, quick draw dagger is a card you shouldn't feel bad about putting in your deck. It's it, it's basically another combat trick. It's not only a combat oh. trick, it, it wins lots of combats, and I guess that's why Daring Escape is bad, because I was thinking about it, right? Because Daring Escape and Boon of Safety are just, they win combat. Sure. Revelation of Power is a game ender. Yeah, so you want to not just and like antagonize also has good data despite red. So it's good in red in respect to red. Um, I played two of those. Yeah, I played two of those yeah. in the red black deck. That card, that card wins. That card wins games. They 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 win combat and then they kill people. Like it's good, you know. But yeah, play combat tricks. Probably not more than two of them, but put two of them, one or two of them in your deck and feel pretty good about it. Like Obscura Charm sucks. Uh. It just isn't good. Um, you know, don't. It's it, it it's probably not the worst card you could put in your obscure deck, but like probably don't. It's first two modes just are pretty niche, and then like the two good modes, which are the counter target instant sorcery or kill a creature that costs three or less, are narrow enough that sometimes the card is just gonna do nothing. And then reanimating a multicolored permanent is really hard to do. Yeah, the 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 charms really. Week it just doesn't affect the board as much as you want to. It's like worse patch up, honestly. I I actually want to take a look at all of the charms for a second here. I want to say all of the charms are not like amazing. I'm assuming Maestro's charm is good. I believe Maestro's charm is the best one. I yeah. Let, let me confirm that fact. No, Broker's charm is considered the best one. That's because Broker's beca is good. Because Broker's is so insane, and then Maestro's charm is a reason to be in Maestro's. It is quite strong. It kills something. Um, Maestro's Charm also just kills people, because that lose 3, gain 3 doesn't look impressive until your opponent's at 3. <laughs> and then Riveteer's Charm is next. Riveteer's Charm is a good card, just Riveteer's suck, um, is the issue. Yeah, I'd um, see maybe Splashing Forward in Black-Red, but yeah. Black-Red wants to cast its spells early, so... Yeah. And then Cabaretti Charm, it really wants you to go wide, and it's hard to go wide enough to actually make it work. And then Obscura Charm does fall under all of the other charms, which is like, it's under Riveteers and Cavaretti's Charm, and Obscura <laughs> is like a played guild. Don't put Obscura Charm in your deck, it's not very good. Like, family Drafter, one, but... you, gotta, you gotta say family, it's families, not guilds, that's another multi plain multiverse plane. Oh, guilds of New Capenna owned. Uh, yeah, wait, 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 what's the set, Kerif? Ravnica City of Guild oh or Guild of Ravnica? Okay, D during, I don't remember what I was talking about. I think I was talking about, like, limited formats in general, and I was like, oh, so you remember uh, Demir from that, from Ravnica City of Guilds, right? And how, what's his name? Lazav is, like, a card that was printed in City of, or Ravnica City of Guilds. And then I said, Lazav isn't an original, Lazav isn't an original Ravnica, Kerif. And then I realized that <laughs> the first Ravnica set is called Ravnica City of Guilds, and the third Ravnica set is called G 
guilds of Ravnica, <laughs> which is only one word apart. And I don't know how anybody else doesn't confuse the two. But apparently Drafter knew exactly what I was talking about. Because I think I was also talking about Golgari, which isn't in Ravnica City of Guilds. No, it is, actually, right? I don't remember what's in Ravnica no, City of Guilds. It is, because one of the, like, Gorgon ladies It's is Dredge, there. right? Yeah, Dredge is there, yeah. Uh, right, yeah, so... Ravnica City of Guilds is Boros... Uh, I think it's Boros. Yeah, it's Boros, Selesnia, Demir, Golgari. It's the four guild set. Because the other two are the two threes. Oh, yeah, so they just added is it into three, Guilds three. of Ravnica. How are these sets different? They're not. They're literally not. No, they're very similar. The <laughs> only difference is uh, one's missing from the, the, yeah, the is other it? one. What's the missing is one? There? Yeah, is it's missing from this one. They're very similar sets, other than the fact that well, this one has Dredge, which is a famously fair oh, mechanic. Oh my god. All it right. also has Radiance, which is a famously garbage mechanic, but you know. Um, we've been sidetracked, but we're back. Um, Rafine's Scheming Seer is, like, a bigger bomb. Like, I, I would argue, like, the biggest bomb of the set. Like, like it's probably not the biggest. The, the, uh, the White Mythic Angel and the, and Dr. Manhattan are bigger bombs, but... I mean, Rafine's Scheming Seer is yeah. just, when you play this on turn 3, or 4, or 5, or 6, everything else that you played gets better it's like mr orfeo on crack right you just get yep. to make your other creatures bigger and gain ludicrous amounts of card advantage even if you're not ahead on board that much hey care if you want to tell me you want to hear about a game i haven't told you about yet that was brutal what i was playing against a guy who was on esper he went like snooping newsy like three turns in a row but he didn't have them active still. He got up to four out of five, but one of them was a Maestro's Initiate that he activated, so he went back down to three, um, and he didn't put something relevant in. And then, like, he killed off one of the Newsies, and I'm like, all right, I'm racing, uh, like, I'm in this game. Like, he, he could get them active, but he's two cards off still. And, like, there's no easy way to get two cards into your graveyard immediately just to activate <laughs> them. And then he untaps, taps oh, Rafine, attacks with both of them, one of them turn and he d activates both of them on the connive too. Oh one of them God. turns into a five five lifelink and the other one turns into a three three lifelink and I concede <laughs> on the spot. Holy shit. Oh my god. Well Rafine is insane. Never pass this card unless you are in pack two on none of its colors, or in pack three just not on blue white, like or not on at least two Yo, of its colors. If you're in red green <laughs> I mean, consider your life choices on why you're playing like red green and now can't play this Rafine, but like, yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, you can talk about whack for a second. Yeah, uh, see, the joke I put on the paper is that the data on whack is whack, and then I put in parentheses laugh. So this is the spot for you to laugh. Um, I'll give you guys a second to 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 enjoy my hilarious joke. I could put in. Um, real stock What's sound that? effect if you wanted to yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can you can you put in some friends laughter for me <laughs> i'll try <laughs> i'll play like Did a midi of the america's funniest home videos theme song yeah 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 perfect perfect good 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 content but yeah 
the data whack is like significantly like not um it's not amazing in the data which is shocking to me because white is super prevalent it kills discipline duelist it kills so much stuff i i don't understand why it's data is not better than it is. Whack is only Whack is under so, so the average for seventeen lands, in case you this is somehow the first limited podcast you've listened to. The average win rate for like seventeen lands users is about a fifty six percent win rate. So basically any data coming off there should be considered like anything under fifty six is under average. And Whack is at a fifty five point seven, so slightly under average for what is like an insane removal spell. It must just be the sorcery speed hurts it more than I think. Yeah, I've definitely held it up times when I didn't know it was a sorcery. I uh, think <laughs> that that is really bad. It only puts it like a little bit below strangle, but in matchups slash like against cards that don't hit it, it must be really bad, right? Cause, yes, yeah. yeah. If you're up against Maestro's in the mirror, this card's awful. Like, it doesn't That's kill great. Glamorous Outlaw, it, it doesn't, it, it's four mana sorcery speed when you probably want to be, yeah. like, holding up murder or something like that. I think this card is best when you're in, like, black-red and can use it as your top-end removal spell rather than, like, yeah. ready to rumble or whatever. So, I think the moral of the story is if you're playing best of, like, play this card in your deck, but if you're in best of three and your opponent doesn't have any white guys, like, side it out. Perhaps, yeah. Alright. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, White of Up's kind of bad. Um, I've had it, it be good. The casual, it, it can be good, but again, much like Whack, it's sorcery speed, it's a little slow, and Casualty 2 hurts. Casualty 2 is significantly more than Casualty 1. Yeah, sacrificing a real card to get both of these is bad, but it feels like there's modality here, right? You can just cast light them up and trade your two drop for a four drop. That feels value. I don't know. But... It's fine, but it's a lot worse than strangle. Like significantly worse than strangle. Don't feel bad about not being in red if there's late light them ups. Feel bad about not being in red if there's strangles. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then uh, Jaxus, he's that red, rare, like, kiki-diki guy. I'm probably just think he's good because kiki-diki was so good in, uh, uh, Neon Dynasty. Um, <laughs> Already forgot. But the, the card feels like it should be pretty good, and it's pulling pretty mediocre data, so. Maybe people I don't aren't know. blitzing. This, this is a really weird card to figure out if you should blitz it or not, I feel like. I think I only blitz it when I'm killing somebody. Yeah, and maybe in that case it's just worse. Or setting up, like, lethal for the next turn. I did get Corrupt Court officialed multiple times with this card. And that was the yeah, worst like, feeling I've ever had in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, what, what's the dream card to be replicating with this at, like, Uncommon? Um, I mean, Cleanup Crew, but... Oh, yeah, Cleanup Crew is the dream card. Yeah, you're right. Maybe yeah, red is know. just that bad. I don't know. Maybe red is bad, and also make sure you have, like, crazy... Like, make sure this card is actually crazy when it resolves into your deck, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. But it also sacrifices, so even if you have body double, like, that's good. And it it, it does the blitz thing. Like, I get that. I get why that's good, right? Because you already have a Jaxus, you have a body, and then you have something else that can freely attack, and no matter what happens to it, you will draw a card, right? Yeah. It's so. I guess maybe it's just it hasn't found its place, and or just the people that have been playing red decks have either been playing 
the deck wrong or there is no good red deck. I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. Eh, Jax is a little worse than I thought. Um, Venicon of Venom Connoisseur, the two mana, two, two alliance. Uh, when something enters, it gains death touch, and then if you had two things, everything gained death touch is like really bad. Kind of surprises me because it feels aggressive and should like be able to kill things, but I don't know. Who cares it, about it's the been ground? pretty bad. Yeah, who cares about the ground? That's true. Everything in green is just bigger than everything, and that's, that's true. why it, it gets in. It, it doesn't it matter that it, it gets death ends touch. Up being a bear. Yeah, and then sometimes if you get the two, then I don't even know what what you're gonna do. That what situation it would put you in that you weren't in already if you're playing two creatures a turn. Yeah, no, I, I, that that the Carif has the assessment that that is what's going on. Ooh, a Topiary Stomper, actually a pretty playable card, coming in at like a hot fifty eight percent win rate. It's the three mana Dino that rampant growth you. And then it can't attack or block until there's seven or more lands. It's the four four vigilance. The data on that card's really good. I'm uh, not surprised. Did I put that low, or did what column did I put that in? I, I I'm, I'm more surprised that it's good in this set that hates green. It's a double pipped green card for context. Oh right. Maybe it's just it's still pulling good data. Good in the green white deck because it's big and you want to get to seven because you're already trying to cast a. a Cleanup crew, so yeah, it's good if you're like primary green, but I feel like that's pretty rare. Perhaps, but I don't know. It's just a little bit of ramp and all your good stuffs at like five. Eh, yeah, it just seems pretty good. But try to play the Dino Man; he's pretty good. The green red treasure payoffs as a whole are just bad, and wow. this is the fundamental issue with green red: is that it's like not it has weak commons and uncommons, but also its payoffs suck, and like, they're like, not only do I have to play with weaker commons than commons, I'm stuck with the garbage security rocks, the garbage sti stimulus package is the worst multicolor uncommon by data, the only one under a 50% win rate, and then like, what, the jet mirrors, uh, what, fixer, jet mirrors fixer. fixer has like pretty bad data too, yeah, it's the only card it's better than is Masked Bandits. <laughs> oh my god. I think that there's a deck here. I still do. I guess it's just bad, though. It, I mean, yeah, if any of us ever drafts a deck, you'll you'll hear about it, but uh, I've just not seen it. I've not fought against it. I haven't, like, thought about drafting it. One of these days, I'm going to open one of the... I'm going to open either Zeatora or Fleetfoot Dancer and try to build it. I think the problem is that the thing that creates treasures consistently is a 1-4 for 4. And that yeah. is the problem. I'm really happy that this isn't super crazy busted, because then we probably would have been in the decayed situation that we were in many months That's ago. True. So I'm glad, I guess <laughs> I'm glad that this didn't work out, but... I am a little disappointed that this deck isn't good because it did seem somewhat fun. And hey, people like treasure. Yeah, treasures are fun. The other cards that generate treasure are kind of bad. Exhibition Magician doesn't really get you like anything. I think it's really Security Rocks that's the problem. It's just it has one uncommon that nobody cares about. Yeah, you don't. Its stimulus package is just too slow. Yeah. Um, but but in the segment of what seventeen lands won't tell you, if you get stimulus package and bootlegger stash, 
your lands out to make one one, then you win the game. I mean, we did say um, bootlegger stash was a pack one pick one because it's twenty dollars. So that's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, do pack one pick one it in paper and sell it to your local commander player. Um, but yeah, no, the red green, the, the payoffs are bad. And you may have already known this, but no, nah, I'm just letting you know again. You know. Yeah. Um. The five-mana removal as a whole is very bad in this set. The red one, the white one. I don't know if there's any ones in other colors, but... I thought don't put them in your deck. is going to be better than it was. Yeah. Solely because uh, we... of the non-land permanent clause, but yeah. I guess you just want to kill creatures, and you're often killing a creature that's like a three-mana spell with And if you do ever have to hit an artifact or enchantment, you probably have a crowbar. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, I didn't think Ready to Rumble was ever going to be good, but here we are. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, the, the, the last couple of things I have here I think I've already covered pretty effectively earlier, so. Sure, sure. Even the score kind of sus is the last thing you have, though. Oh, wait, where's that? It's on the next page down. You said even oh. the score kind of sus. I don't know what to think of it. <laughs> That's still true, I don't... Oh, look, the date on even the score tells me it's just an average playable, which it makes it even more confusing to me, because I just... Yeah, it's got, like, it's got okay data. It's not super very high played. It, I, I, I don't know, man. Um, put it in your, like, Grixis control decks and your Esper control decks, and it might be... But make sure you have a lot of fixing, and it'll be... So, I've played it in straight blue-white a couple times, and my experience with this card is that if they do have one of the blowout cards, it is very good. Uh, because yeah. at that point, you're probably down on cards, and the way to get card advantage in this format is to play creatures, right? Inspiring Overseer is a really good one. Case of Joint's really bad. Uh, just, like, be, the, the whole theme of this set is kind of being on board, right, mm. as a whole. And so, even though even the score doesn't do that, it can refill you when you're done setting up your board, if that That's makes true. sense. Because, I, I also yeah, board stalls do happen, and even the score is really good in that case, so... I think even the score might be also the only card that can realistically get you out from under a fiend. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because they connive, like, three along with their card for turn, and then you can, like, draw six cards and try to find, like, an out. A hundred percent. I think the card is still not that great, but you'll see it later. So maybe if you're in blue, white, pick it up. It's yeah. really important that you're in two color, though. It, it, it's, yeah. I even think if you've got, like, a heavy-fixing Grixis deck, it could want to be evening the score. But it's a weird card. Um, yeah. I don't. I, I stand by it being kind of sus. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is it, I think. Uh, yeah, that's everything we have. In terms of the actual show we're gonna do a little bit of an outro talking about a couple things but for the most part i wanted to thank everybody for listening and you can find me uh Karif, josh uh, at twitch.tv backslash Karif underscore wins 
And you can find Drafter at twitch.tv backslash drafterdemon. Mm. Uh, Alex is his name. And That's true. Yeah, I don't know what to think of this format so far. I think it's fun. Obviously, coming off of Kamigawa, any set was going to be kind of hard. But I think that it has at least lived up to fun gameplay for the first couple of weeks. Yeah, it's not a bad set. Uh, by the end of May, I'll be able to tell you if it's got, like, like if like we figure out that there's, like, a hidden, like, green, red something aggro deck in there that you just have to draft <laughs> right, you know? God, this set's gotta have some staying power in paper, at least. Oh, yeah, everything has staying power in paper, because you just don't get to play it that much, you know? Sure, sure, but it's, it, it, it has really to. Like you... It, it oh, has yeah. to because of the way that the oh, schedule right. works, yeah. Yeah, and we can mention this. It kind of leads into, like, well, it doesn't fully. Actually, I'll, I'll mention this, and we'll talk about this and lead it into the outro, but, sure. well, yeah. We're not getting another standard set until September. Yeah, which is, like, <laughs> so there is not going to be a new proper draft format on Arena until, uh, like, September. Um, so, so for paper drafters, you're still gonna have good fun in, what is it, Double Masters 2, and the totally not revealed Commander Legends Baldur Gate. Oh god, I, everybody said that Commander's Legends was a bad draft, and I've realized that the reason I think that it's bad is not because it itself the drafting experience is bad because i think that part is super fun it's playing the games that sucks yeah <laughs> commander games are bad because unlike like if you're building a commander cube which i would never do um <laughs> <laughs> um you, you do need to make sure the games like end at some point but you have the power to put like powerful finishers in and there's just none of that shit in commander legends you know yeah you can pull off some funny stuff like i did pull off a funny thing of board wiping when i had all my stuff under promise of tomorrow or whatever the hell that card is but it's pretty funny that kind of stuff happens so few and far between because of the way that they have to have commons and they have to have uncommons they have to keep all of these at specific power levels and I don't know how well that will end up working again. I will say it's a good commander format because there's no soul rank in it, though. Uh, you don't know that yet. Oh, God. No, don't, don't, <laughs> uh, no, don't put soul ring in commander Legends Bonder Gate. <laughs> there's no good way to... I guess you could do another masterpiece soul ring. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, soul ring, but in the, yeah, soul ring, but in the old border, in the D&D border. You think God. they're not doing that? You think they? You think they're gonna pass up on the opportunity to do that, Drafter? You're you're I hope lying they just to put yourself. Command Tower. I hope they just put Command Tower in it and don't. They know Soul Ring is a horrifically powerful card. There's no way. They, they, they would never do that to me. Maybe there's gonna be a Soul Ring token in every three packs. No, there's gonna be Jeweled Lotus instead. You're gonna be able to get Jeweled Lotus in cold, foiled, gilded, shiny, inverted. Uh, hyper awesome foil probably anyways the main point is that i'm excited to open the packs and draft it and then and then uh drop from the tournament and the one that you <laughs> should be looking out for is probably double masters we don't know what that'll look yeah. like yet uh Pro master sets always have fun draft formats uh sucks that it's gonna cost you like an arm and a leg but it, it will be fun yeah 
Uh, I wanted to quickly go over the new arena changes and how qualifications work, because there is a way to do it for limited, and this might be something that people are interested in if they want to try to race for the Pro Tour, like... Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not racing for the Pro Tour, I just want to spike a GP, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, do you, do you want me to do the breakdown, Kira? Because I mostly remember the breakdown. Okay, cool. Yeah, sure. So... There are things on Arena. There's a resource you can get. It is called a play-in point. Mm -hmm. At the end of the month, if you have 20 play-in points, you get to play in a cool event. Okay. If you win the cool event, and I believe winning the cool event means... Oh, God, this is the part where it starts falling apart. Um, <laughs> if you win the cool event, and I'll get to what that means in a second... You get to play in another cool event. And then in that cool event, if you can get 14 wins, and it's unclear what the format on this cool event is, but you need 14 wins over two days, um, and you can only take one loss a day. So pretty insane. Like, you need to run insane. But if you do that, you get qualified for both the Mythic or the, the regional championship and the Pro Tour. You just get immediate access to the Pro Tour. Um, so you, you can get onto the Pro Tour by playing events on Arena. Um, and to get these qualifier points to play in the one event that gets you into the other event, you can either play uh, for limited. Your options are either to grind the Premier Drafts and get into Mythic. Um, at Mythic, you either need to be in the top 251 to 1200, which will just get you into that event. Or if you're in the top 250, you essentially immediately win that event and now just get go into the final 14-win gauntlet to get into the Pro Tour. Alternatively, you can play Traditional Limited, and if you can trophy 10 times in Traditional Limited it'll get you into the event that can get you into the 14-win gauntlet. Oh, you can nice. also subsidize those traditional limited points with a, ones from constructed events. Or you could use constructed ladder and do that same mythic ranking thing to get into the event. Um, the event, the, the first event that gets you into the 14-win gauntlet is a sealed... Uh, is I believe it, I believe it was sealed, right? Let yes. me, let me... I think it's sealed Nukapena, right? <laughs> Yeah, let's see. It's qualifier playing. Um, you can enter with either that or that. A single day playing takes one weekend. Six wins before two losses. I'm. It's unclear to me how what what format it's going to be. So you can play limited to get into these two events. But these two events, it's unclear what format they're going to be. The 14-win gauntlet and the event to get into the 14-win gauntlet. But, long story short, you have the potential to get onto the Pro Tour by playing Arena. You need to run insanely. Like, I, I think the biggest breakpoint here is that 14-win gauntlet. I just don't know how many people are going to hit 14. You have to win 14. Like, playing 14 <laughs> matches in a weekend is brutal. And you have to win them. 
Well, I mean, that's what the Pro Tour is like, baby. I don't actually know if that's what it's like. But... 14 matches is a lot, man. Yeah, it seems pretty impossible, but that doesn't mean that you can't make a run at it, right? And yeah. one of the fun things is that you can ladder with any deck and still play the sealed at the end of the whole excursion. And so everybody that qualifies that will at least get to play in a qualifier play an event. And yeah. those stakes are fun, I think, even if the dream of going 14 and 2 is or 14 and 1 i suppose is yeah 14 and 1 you have to run a 93 percent win rate yeah impossible unless somebody finds the best deck in the format i mean you just have to run incredibly hot i mean somebody wins the pro tour and they or whatever whoever wins the pro tour also ran that kind of data but it is like it was not going to be that many arena pro tour qualifiers. I I don't think we'll see how many there are, but because this I is the first time this is happening. I hope there are a lot, and I think that hopefully once we get the in paper tournaments again, like DreamHack Atlanta, we'll be able to yeah. have a better understanding of how many events you need to do to realistically make it to the pro tour with specific win rates. And yep. once we have that, I think the goals will become a lot clearer for people and yeah. what they're trying to do and kind of set their expectations for how am I going to get into this? What are my options? It'll feel a lot more tactile once we actually have those tournaments in play. And the cool thing about this is you also, like, you get to run at it every month. So, like, it, you get a lot of chances at it if you're grinding a lot, you know? So don't feel discouraged if you, like, you, like, get to the 14-win gauntlet and then just go, like, 3-2 three, three and two and are, like, out of it quickly. Like, you know, like, you also still got a bunch of gems for doing that, which is nice value. Yeah, and I um, think that it's exciting that it is that it is monthly, because you could just, like, bam, bam, bam. You know. You know that you yeah. can do this for multiple months, and over the course yep. of that month, you only need to hit one of those in order to hit the Pro Tour, right? Yeah, and the cool thing is it gets you into the Regional Championship and the Pro Tour. So now you can go and have fun at a Regional Championship, and, like... Like, there's no pressure during the regional championship. You don't have to spike it or anything. You're already into the Pro Tour. That's so sick. Like, <laughs> I just need to get better at magic. Uh, constructed uh, magic specifically, know. but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Notably, if you are going to be playing in... Uh, if, if you have dreams of regional championshiping, you should uh, look into building a Pioneer deck, because you're going to need one. Yep, and we're um, looking at that. That'll probably be some of our outros in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, but yeah. for I, now, I think it's time to put a pin in this show yeah yeah hey yeah we appreciate you sticking around so long i know i ramble care if rambles we, we we talk a lot but we appreciate you being around and listening to us so i'll uh try to edit it down as much as possible <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah uh next week i guess we're still talking about streets of new capetta at some point we're probably going to run an episode on the difference between moto and arena draft that might be next week depending on yeah. how our Streets of New Capenna experiences go. Uh, we've yeah. got some fun topics lined up, though, and we'll probably talk yeah. about Drafters Commander Cube, and I'm interested in <laughs> looking at older formats as well and yeah. dissecting them a little bit and figuring out what's what's fun about them. And it's not like we're not going to talk about Streets of New Capenna. It's my life, I suppose. Yep. So uh, look I forward to more content. Yeah, I just think the important thing to remember is that we won't be listening to us talking, like, two hours about Streets of New Capenna. It'll probably just be, like, a 30-minute segment followed by, like, some other stuff. So. Yeah, or we'll, we'll see what happens. I do want to run we'll some more big Streets of New Capenna 
strategy gauntlets, especially if the meta changes, That's which fair. you might. Yeah, if if we find new groundbreaking discoveries, you'll hear about them, but... Okay, uh, that's it. I We already basically talked our asses off for the intro. We'll probably have to cut that down a little bit. But yeah, uh, next week, have a good night, everybody. Uh, or good day, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. <laughs>